0: Open your Bibles once again, if you will, to Matthew's Gospel, the 10th chapter, Matthew chapter 10, and verse 22. May the Lord bless the reading and exposition of his own infallible word. Matthew chapter 10, verse 22. This is the Word of God. And you will be hated by all for my namesake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, let me remind you that a couple of weeks ago we surveyed the entire chapter, chapter 10 of Matthew's Gospel, and that I have felt it necessary to go back to a couple of the texts that are found within this chapter because because I thought it necessary that we focus upon some of the themes there. Last week, it was the providence of God in verses 29 to 31. The hairs of your head are numbered. And today, it's this verse, the latter portion of it, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And it leads me to a sermon that is somewhat more topical than is usually my approach, but I think it's necessary. I have heard this text used by people all of my Christian life, Uh, as if it taught that the saints of God, true believers in Jesus, could lose their salvation. Well, here it is, you see, we, we must endure to the end to be saved, and therefore if we don't endure to the end, then we will not be saved. Well, it's true that the believer who does not endure to the end will not be saved, but the point of the matter is the Bible teaches that every believer will endure to the end. And I want to make that plain from the Holy Scriptures this morning and to show you why it's important. Let's begin by simply saying that the Bible teaches that true believers will finally persevere to the end because they are preserved by God. And the first point that I want to make is that this is explicitly taught throughout the Bible, explicitly taught throughout Scripture. Uh, For example, uh, believers in Christ have eternal life. John 3.15, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. It's in the nature of life that is eternal that it lasts, that if it is eternal life, that those who possess it will endure to the end. Or believers are kept by the Father and by the Son. John 10.28 and 29, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Or take another very familiar passage, believers are kept in the love of God. For example, at the end of the 8th chapter of the book of Romans, we read, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword... No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, just three scripture passages that illustrate that permeating the Bible is the teaching that true believers in Jesus Christ will be kept, preserved, and endure to the end. And these passages could be readily multiplied. These passages are so clear on the surface of them that you wonder how the false teaching ever developed in the church that true believers could lose their salvation, explicitly taught in the Holy Scriptures. But let's go on from that to the second thing let's actually work out biblical arguments that teach us that true believers are secure in Christ and will endure to the end. And let's begin by simply focusing for a few moments upon the character of God. Who is God? He's infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. He's faithful to his promises. He does what he says. His decrees stand firm. And so we read in passages such as Romans 11:29, the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. When he gives a gift, when he calls, he doesn't change his mind about it. Malachi 3.6 that teaches us, I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore are you sons of Jacob not consumed. Why are the sons of Jacob not consumed? Because God is immutable in his promise. 2 Timothy 1.12, that passage of scripture in which Paul says, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Or in Philippians we read, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion even to the day of Christ Jesus, to the return of Jesus Christ. All of these scriptures reflect that God's character is firm. We are secure in his faithfulness that he keeps his oaths, he keeps his promises, and therefore he will keep his people. The character of God demands the final perseverance of those who truly have faith in Jesus Christ. But also, the doctrines of grace teach us that the saints will finally persevere. And believing in one of these doctrines is to believe them all because they form links in a golden chain of God's salvation of His own. The doctrines of grace demand the final perseverance of every true believer in Jesus Christ. Well, what do I mean when I speak of the doctrines of grace? let's enumerate them. We begin with God's election of his people from before the foundations of this world were laid. Election is God's eternal choice of his people in Christ, not revealed in the Bible to confuse us, but revealed in the Bible to assure us as God's people of his eternal love for us. That if you are elect in Christ from before the foundation of the world, that electing decree keeps God's people in Christ until the end. Indeed, for all eternity. Ephesians one four, according as He has chosen us in Him from before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him. Romans eight thirty three. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Acts thirteen forty eight that teaches us that God's ordination produces the salvation of his people. And Jesus saying in John six thirty seven, All that the Father gives to me shall come unto me, and him that comes unto me I will in no wise cast out. Well, don't you understand then? That behind the salvation of every believer in Jesus is God's eternal love and his eternal decree and his eternal purpose in which he said, That sinner I will save. That sinner will be redeemed. And if God says it, then indeed his decree must stand fast. It cannot, cannot fail. The next doctrine in the golden chain, the next link in the chain is the effectual calling that comes to us from God the Father's own love through the power of the Holy Spirit. Effectual calling means that when the gospel is preached, generally, those who are chosen of God in God's own time, that gospel will go right to the heart and will redeem and will save and will keep the people of God. It will draw those who are chosen by the Father for whom the Son gave His life. So that when that person at that moment hears, it's like iron filings drawn to a magnet. They come to Jesus and they believe in Jesus John 6, 44, Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. 1 Corinthians 1, 8 says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son. He draws his people and he saves them. Drawing them, he regenerates them, which is the next link in this golden chain of the doctrines of grace. He regenerates, or he grants, the new birth from above. It's a sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. Do you remember when Jesus said in John chapter 3, "...thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell from whence it cometh or whither it goeth, so is every one that is born of God." comparing the movement of the Spirit to the wind, not under the control of man, but under the control of a God who loves and keeps and saves His people. He grants regeneration, grants the new birth sovereignly. What's the upshot? Well, Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and following, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We are kept for our unfading inheritance, and the inheritance is kept for us by the new birth that has been granted to us through the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. But not only that, Not only are we called, not only are we regenerated, but also when we are regenerated, we are given the gift of faith. Faith is God's gift. You are not born with faith. We are born dead in trespasses and sins. We cannot believe unless faith is granted to us by the Spirit of God. By grace are you saved through faith, and that faith is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So when we ask the question, how is it possible that a sinner dead in trespasses and sins can believe? The answer is, the new birth grants the gift of saving faith. We do not believe in order to be born again. We are born again in order to believe the new birth precedes and produces faith. So that faith is according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, Ephesians 1 19. And it is worked in us by the irresistibility of the power of God, so that faith being God's gift and God being who He is, and the gifts of call and calling of God are not to be repented of by Him. Therefore, when faith is granted to us, that faith will remain, sometimes weak, sometimes strong. Not always, Not always will it be strong faith, but it is true faith that grips, that grasps, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But not only that, adding to this golden chain, we also add justification by grace through faith. For everyone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ is justified. What does that mean? It means that we are accepted by God before his throne of judgment. Our guilt is removed. Those who trust in Christ are no longer guilty but the perfect record of Jesus Christ is credited to the account of everyone who believes in Jesus. It is an act, it is instantaneous. When you believe, you are justified. It is what we will hear on the last day at the judgment, not guilty, positively righteous, and it is pressed back into time from eternity to come, pressed back into time for every believer in Jesus, And therefore, it lasts. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. The justification that we receive is unalterable and irrevocable. Once justified, you remain justified. But let's add to this golden chain another link. And another link in the chain is our sanctification So that Paul the Apostle tells us, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, both recognizing that it is both to will and to work His good pleasure that is being accomplished in our lives. And so those who are justified, God also progressively sanctifies and conforms us to the image of His own dear Son. And then these links lead us all the way to a final link in the chain, which is glorification. God's promise that whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Romans eight twenty-eight and 29. Paul speaks of our future glorification as if it has already taken place because it is certain. And so we have these wonderful links in the golden chain. But all of these things we have, all of these blessings we have in union with Jesus Christ as believers in Christ. Union in Christ is a very strange and mysterious doctrine. It has many facets and many angles. There is our union with Christ in eternity past, our faith union when we believe, our union with him in his death and his resurrection. But all of this adds up in this context to this truth. That if you are in union with Christ, you will remain in union with Jesus Christ. And I was a boy of, um, oh, I don't know, ninth grade maybe, somewhere in there. I had a teacher that had been taught a lot of false doctrine about these sorts of things. And uh, she asked me to stay after class one day. She knew I was a believer and she talked with me about how disturbed her heart was and the thought that She could lose her salvation, and having believed that perhaps she will not continue to believe. And I took a coin out of my pocket, and I read to her the passage, Colossians 3.1, For you have died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. And I took that coin, and I said, this is you. I put it in the palm of my hand, and I said, you have died in Christ, and your life is hid with Christ in God the Father. Now, can anyone get to you without going through the Father and through the Son? And actually, her eyes brightened, <laughs> and she began to see something that she had not seen before. You know, that was good theology for a ninth grader. That's good theology for any grader, any age in life, that if we are in union with Jesus Christ, no one can get to you without going through the Father. No one can get to you without going through Christ, and you are saved and secure forever forever. Not only that, in union with Christ, we are sealed by the blessed Holy Spirit, which is a sermon in itself, but we read in Ephesians 1, 13, and 14, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of the inheritance to the praise of His glory. The Spirit of God seals the people of God for the inheritance until we receive the fullness of that inheritance in the last day. Well, my friends, that's the golden chain. That is a wonderful chain, is it not? The golden link of eternal election that joins the link of effectual calling, that joins the link of regeneration, that joins to the link of saving faith, that joins to the link of justification, that joins to the link of sanctification, and finally joins to the link... To the link of glorification, all because of our union with Christ and sealing with the Holy Spirit. That's the chain. And it's a chain, my friend, a golden chain whose doctrines will never grow dim, but only brighter as time goes by and you understand these things more deeply. But what is the forge in which this golden chain was, was formed? the forge in which this golden chain was formed was the eternal covenant of grace in which the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit eternally determined to save God's people from their sins. And do you know what that means? It means, therefore, that the entire Trinity the one God in three persons, the entirety of the Trinity is behind your salvation, believer. And if the Father has loved you and chosen you, if the Son has died for you, if the Spirit of God is applying this to your hearts, then you cannot perish, but you must have eternal life. It means that there are no ifs in the covenant of grace. Jeremiah thirty-two forty, God promises... I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them and I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. And so the everlasting covenant of grace is not mutable. It cannot be altered. It cannot be changed. It is secured by God's own oath and faithfulness and character and by Jesus' blood. And so this covenant of grace is the forge in which this golden chain is formed. And then the covenant is hammered out, if I may say it reverently, is hammered out on the anvil of the cross of Jesus Christ. When Jesus came, the source of the atonement, the source of the cross, is the eternal love of God for his own. And when he came and gave himself on the cross, Jesus really, really accomplished the purpose for which he came. He didn't come to offer a hypothetical atonement. I'll go so far, you do the rest. I'll do so much, now it's up to you to add the conditions. I have conditions and you must fulfill them. No, no. When Jesus came and shed his blood for sinners... He purchased for us our calling, our regeneration, our saving faith, our justification, our sanctification, our glorification. All of this was purchased in the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He really accomplished the purpose for which He came. And that means for you, believer, that there will be no double jeopardy. Having trusted in Christ Knowing that he died for you, that he shed his blood for you, the Bible teaches that the debt is paid. And if the debt is paid, then you owe it no longer. Don't tell me there are people who are redeemed by the precious blood of Christ who will perish eternally in hell. Those redeemed by Jesus Christ, purchased by Christ, who belong to Jesus Christ, cannot perish. And all of these wonderful and rich blessings that we have seen this morning are purchased for you, believer, and no one can remove them from you. And so we have this great forge in eternity past, and we have this golden chain that is is beautifully, beautifully hammered out, in the cross of Jesus Christ. But what is, so to speak, the the winch that turns the chain and pulls the golden chain and all of us attached to it all the way into heaven? Well, my friends, the winch that turns and pulls the golden chain and us with it into heaven is the intercessory work of Jesus. Don't you know that Christ, your Lord, ascended into heaven, intercedes for you? Can his intercession fail? He pleads the merit of his blood. He pleads the fullness and sufficiency of his cross for everyone that belongs to him. So we read in Hebrews 7.25, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. And so to say that true believers can be lost is to say that the blood of Christ can be thrown away and that Jesus' intercession fails. And that is a sheer impossibility. Can a true believer be lost? The doctrines of grace cry out, No! But every true believer in Christ is preserved by God and will persevere to the end. Third point, there are objections that are raised to this doctrine, and I intend to spend about two minutes on them. There is first, well, maybe a little more, there is first the objection that we have in the Bible apostasy passages that talk about people falling away. And if you remember my series on the book of Hebrews, we spent a lot of time analyzing that argument, so I just mention it here. Listen. God uses many means in order to bring his people to heaven. In the preaching of the word, he uses exhortation, and he uses proclamation, and he also uses warning in order to bring his people uh, to heaven. It's the pilgrim's progress. You see, when Christian in Bunyan's pilgrim's progress comes to know Jesus, there's the promise that he's going to end up in the celestial city. But there is still the slew of despond. There is still the battle with Apollyon. There is still the valley of the shadow of death. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. That is the battle we fight as a Christian. Yes, I am preserved, but I still battle. Yes, I am preserved. God will keep me. But there are still dangers on the right and on the left. But God promises through them all, even through warning about the slew of despond, for example, To keep me as his child to the end. Remember also that Hebrews and other places addresses the church in its visible aspect. And the visible church is composed of those who truly know Christ and some who profess Christ who don't. So that those who do depart after having made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ, 1 John chapter 2, 19 tells us, They were not of us, for had they been of us, they would have remained with us. They did not remain with us because they were not of us. Those who do not persevere to the end were never true possessors of salvation to begin with. Another argument, though, that has been heard throughout the centuries about this doctrine is that it produces antinomians. It produces people who think like this, Ah, I'm secure in Christ, therefore I will live like the devil. Having trusted in Christ, then it doesn't matter how I live. That's a lie. Revealing the grace of God is the best way to keep us from sin. He not only justifies us, but God also promises to sanctify us and conform us to the image of His own dear Son. He not only accepts us in Christ, but He also indwells us by the Holy Spirit, and He is working within our hearts to help us to hate those things that God hates and love those things that God loves. Election is to holiness. Redemption is from iniquity. And the holiest people who have ever walked the globe have been those who have held to the final perseverance of the saints. I would love to dwell more on that, but we mustn't. Let's go on to the next point, which are several final applications before coming to the table. The first final application is this. The perseverance of the saints provides no comfort for nominal Christians. The perseverance of the saints provides no comfort for nominal Christians. Now, what do I mean by nominal Christians? I mean Christians who make a profession but do not possess the faith that they profess. We've read that already in Matthew, haven't we? In chapter 7, those who said, Lord, Lord, have we not cast out demons in your name and in your name done many marvelous works? And God says to them on the day of judgment, depart from me, I never knew you. They didn't know the Lord. They were concerned to do great things. They were concerned with all sorts of issues, but they didn't know Christ And if that's you this morning, then you need converting. You know your heart before the Lord. Ask Him to search you and try you. Those who profess faith in Christ, but they don't possess. I don't say this to cause true believers to doubt. I say this to cause hypocrites to tremble. Because this doctrine does not give you any comfort. The next application, though, is this that true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ cannot finally fall away, but they can fall for a while into a pattern of sin. Sadly, it will not bring eternal damnation to that person, to that Christian, but if it is you, it can and will dampen your spiritual joy. It will interrupt your communion with God. It will bring dishonor to Christ, and it will grieve the blessed Holy Spirit within you. So I ask this question, is that someone here? Is that you? Yes, I'm a believer in Christ, but I have fallen into patterns of unrepented of sin. My spiritual joy has been dampened. My communion with God has been harmed. I am bringing dishonor to Christ. I am grieving the blessed Holy Spirit. Then repent and believe. Now, today, right this moment, be done with those things in your life that don't belong. Replace them with those things that do belong. Repent of that downward slope. And the good news is, for every true believer in Christ, God will never leave a true believer there. Never but will always recover a true believer. So that as one of the old theologians said, yes, it is true, a Christian, a true Christian may fall, but when he falls, he falls on the deck and not over the boat. You're falling right now, but you're still on the deck. (laughs) Get up, you're still on the deck, and keep moving as God would have you to. Don't drift, don't drift. And then, the perseverance of the saints is the greatest possible encouragement for believers in Jesus. It is the greatest wonder, if you stop and think about it, knowing your own heart, knowing my own heart, it is the greatest wonder that I will persevere to the end. When I know the daily struggles that I have with temptation and sin, when I see within my heart and within my life the grotesque ugliness of sin, It is the greatest wonder to me that God keeps that spark alive in my heart, that he develops it into a flame, and that he promises that he will bring me to my eternal home. It's all of grace from first to last, people. All of grace from first to last. You could never, never keep yourself. If ever it should come to pass that sheep of Christ might fall away, my fickle, feeble soul, alas, would fall a thousand times a day. It is all of grace. From first to last. It is a great wonder, is it not? I want to read to you something that Charles Spurgeon wrote. It was in a sermon in 1855 called Sweet Comfort for Feeble Saints. And this was one of his points. I once read in an old book about God's children and people being a part of Christ and in union with Him. The writer says A father sitteth in his room, and there cometh in a stranger. The stranger taketh up a child on his knee, and the child hath a sore finger. So he saith, My child, you have a sore finger. Yes? Well, let me take it off and give thee a golden one. The child looketh at him and saith, I will not go to that man anymore, for he talks of taking off my fingers. I love my finger, and I will not have a golden one instead of it. So the saint saith, I am one of the members of Christ." But I'm like a sore finger, and he will take me off and put a golden one on. No, said Christ, no, no. I cannot have any of my members taken away. If the finger be a sore one, I will bind it up. I will strengthen it. Christ cannot allow a word about cutting off his members. If Christ lose one of his people, he would not be a whole Christ any longer. If the meanest of his children could be cast away... Christ would lack a part of his fullness, yea, Christ would be incomplete without his church. If one of his children must be lost, it would be better that it should be a great one than a little one. If a little one were lost, Satan would say, Ah, you saved the great ones because they had strength and could help themselves, but the little one that has no strength, you could not save him. You know what Satan would say, but God would shut Satan's mouth by proclaiming, They are all here, Satan. They are all here in spite of thy malice. They are all here. Every one is safe. Now lie down in thy den forever and be bound eternally in chains and smoke and fire. So shall he suffer eternal torment, but not one child of God ever shall. Praise his name. Unbeliever among us today, let me tell you, This is the best of news. You know that you have nowhere to place your feet. Everything under you is shaking. You know that eternity is before you and you have no rock upon which to stand. You have no security in life whatsoever. The salvation of Christ that is proclaimed to you this morning is not rickety, but solid. It is sure. It is firm. It is everlasting. And God gave His only Son that whosoever believes in Him shall never perish. Put your trust in Him, and He will keep you to the end. Come to Him, and you will have life everlasting, everlasting. Put your trust in Him, and you are a Christian and a Christian forever. May God, in His grace, accomplish that in someone's heart this morning. O people of God. I wanted to preach a very long sermon, but we're coming to the Lord's table. And I hope that you see, nonetheless, the wonder of God's keeping grace as we come to the table of the Lord. That as you taste and see that the Lord is good, you're tasting in these very elements God's God's tokens of grace to you in which He assures you, oh my child, oh my child, I'm yours and you're mine, and I will keep you, I will keep you to the very end. Oh, the wonder of God's keeping grace, as we sing in that great old Toplody hymn, my name from the palms of his hands. Eternity will not erase. Impressed on his heart it remains in marks of indelible grace. Yes, I to the end shall endure, as sure as the earnest is given. More happy, but not more secure, the glorified spirits In heaven. (laughs) Did you hear that? Toplity in that hymn says, The glorified spirits in heaven, those who have gone before you, who already are there, the glorified spirits, they're more happy than you are, but they're not more secure than you are. You are just as secure as those who have gone before you, who are in heaven already. That's the keeping power of God. That is is the perseverance of the saints. May the Lord bless this preaching of his word. Amen.